And for those that are going to be staying in here, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is where we'll be for our sermon today. And so we have kind of finished up. Uh, this will be kind of a, I guess, a transitional sermon of sorts. Uh, we will be, we have finished up our series on revival, um, but we are going to be looking at what comes next. Um, and today's sermon, you may also recognize as one of the titles of one of the songs we sang, is Trust and Obey. And so as we're preparing for the Christmas season, it's, it's very hard to believe it's already Christmas time, um, but as we're preparing for the Christmas season, we want to prepare our hearts, prepare ourselves, and as we prepare for the new year, we want to prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves for what we want to see God do in our lives, what we hope to see God do in our church as well. And so that's where the idea of trusting and obeying comes in. The things we talked about in our series on revival, we need to trust God, we need to obey God. And for that, we're going to turn to John chapter 14. It'll be verses 1 through 6, and then verses 15 through 27, and they'll be on the screen as well, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, not, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you, may, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Moving to verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you today, as we look at your word and as we seek to figure out what it means to trust you and to obey you, Lord. I pray that you would help us to just look at your word, to look at our lives, and, and to look at what you call us to do, 
and to be willing to be faithful, to be willing to trust you, to be willing to obey you and to rely on you. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, that you will just convict us, you'll show us your truth, that you'll show us how we need to follow you and that we will be obedient to you today, to follow you as you lead, whatever that may mean for us. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this idea of trusting and obeying, we looked at this passage, and and we'll get into those two words, trust and obey. And we see this very clearly put out here, trust in God, trust also in me, obey. Those who love me will obey. And we'll get to those two. But before we do, I want to look at a word that will be a word you'll hear a lot through the rest of this year and throughout next year, which is the word practical. Practical is going to be a word you're going to hear quite a bit. So what is it mean? What does it mean to be practical? It means actually doing something rather than the theoretical. Actually doing something rather than the theoretical. As you know, I've been learning to play guitar, and one of the things I found out, which many of you who know music will already know, is there's this thing called music theory, and it sounds intimidating. It can be very intimidating, but When it comes to playing guitar, music theory can help you. That's how music works. But there's also the practical part of playing guitar. I think you can get lost in theory in many events, and you can get lost in music theory. You can learn all of the different parts of how music works, and it's possible to know all of that but not play an instrument. You can know that a first, third, and fifth note of a major scale makes a major chord, But if you don't play it, you don't hear it. It's only theory. What good is knowledge unless it's applied? Can you imagine if you were to go to a concert of your favorite band or singer and all they did was explain to you all of the things that they thought about, how their songs worked, rather than played them? They didn't play any of the music you wanted to hear, any of the music you loved, and they just explained how all those songs came together. On the other side, there's practical only. It's possible to only know the practical. This past weekend, while we were visiting home, I was talking to someone that plays guitar really well, but they have no idea the theory behind it. They don't know any of the notes on the fretboard. They don't know any of the notes they're playing. They just know that it's the right thing to play, and they can play it. When the practical is the focus, things get done even if you don't understand fully why. When you go to that concert we were talking about, you don't really care why something sounds good. You only care that it does. And so if we're going to look at only one of those two options, practical only is far superior to theory only. When we focus on the practical, things get done even if we don't understand why. When we focus on theory, things get understood, but nothing gets done. There are practical things that you likely do in your life without understanding why. You change your oil. Unless you're a mechanic or you've studied it before, you know that if you don't change your oil, your car will mess up. But do you understand why it's important? What will it do to your car if you don't change your oil? A lot of people don't. They just know they need to do it. Taking medicine. Are you aware of all the chemical compounds in the medicine, how it interacts with your body to make it work? All you know is you have a headache, you take some medicine, you feel better. And that's all you need to know. You don't have to understand why you do something. It's most important that you know the right thing to do and you do it. The ideal, of course, is to understand why and to do it. Ideally, you would understand why you're doing something and then do it. 
If you go to that same concert and you understand why, what's going on, and you enjoy it, it can help you have a greater appreciation of what's happening. So how does this apply to our faith? Why are we talking about practical, this word practical? Sometimes I think we can be all theory and no practice. We can know what God said. We can know why God said it. We can know every theory about what a passage may mean. We can know all of the ways and the strategies of how we could do something. But if we don't do it, if we don't put it into practice, it's meaningless. It matters more to God that we do what He commands rather than understand what He commanded. God desires obedience. As our passage said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It does not say, if you love me, you will know my commands. It does not say, if you love me, you will talk about my commands. It does not say, if you love me, you will think about my commands. It does not say, if you love me, pick the commands you like and do those. It does not say, if you love me, keep my commands sometimes, but you can have a few days off. It does not say, if you love me, act like you keep my commands. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. And we see a very explicit example of this. Jesus very clearly saying, I want you to do what I say, rather than talking about it and worrying about what it means. When asked what the greatest commandments were, he says, love God with all you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and a, and a a lawyer that wants to, or a person that studies the law that wants to justify himself says, well, who is my neighbor? What's he doing? Being theoretical. Well, theoretically, who is my neighbor? Who are the people I have to love? Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. With people who know the law, they know what God says, they study what God says, they talk about what God says, but when they see a man beaten and lying, left for dead, they don't apply it. They walk on perhaps because they had a meeting where they had to talk about what God says to do and how we ought to love our neighbor. But they leave him there, left for dead. But then who comes by but a Samaritan who comes. And a Samaritan to these listeners was a person who was dirty. He was someone other than the Jewish people. He was less than. They were not people they associated with. But the Samaritan cares for the man, loves the man, has compassion on him, takes him, makes sure that he's cared for, goes above and beyond, giving extra money to make sure that his needs are met. And he asked the lawyer, which one was that man's neighbor? He says, the one who had compassion on him. Go and do likewise. So what is Jesus saying? It doesn't matter who technically you could say is your neighbor. It matters that you love your neighbor. Doing it matters more than understanding the intricacies of what it might mean. So this initial question was theoretical, but Jesus' answer was practical. Just go do it. Go love your neighbor. And as we see in this passage, if you love me, keep my commands. Don't let your pursuit of understanding get in the way of your obedience to the command. And so that's why we land on today's sermon. I think this can all be summed up in two ways, or a few words, trust and obey. We need to trust God and who He is and obey what He says to do. So we're going to look at that, break it down a little bit. The first one, trust. What does it mean to trust God? I think that the word trust and belief and faith are all fairly interchangeable, though they have some different uh, caveats to what they mean. 
We need to believe in God. We need to believe in Jesus. Trust in God. Trust also in me. What does it mean to trust in Jesus? Well, what does he say in the passage? He says to trust what he has done. Well, in the passage, it says to trust all these things about him. That he's going to his Father, that he's going to prepare a place for us, to trust that he will bring us to that place, to trust that we will be alive because he's alive, to trust that we will be in him, the Father will be in us, that he's going to send us a counselor. There's a lot of things that Jesus says he's going to do. He's asking the disciples to trust in what's going to happen. Trust in God, trust also in me. I'm going to do these things. If it was different than I'm telling you, I would have told you so. Trust me. But we also trust in God and what He has done. Do we trust, do we believe what the Bible says? Do we believe that God created all that we experience? Do we trust that God is going to sustain us for another day? Today in Sunday School with the Youth, we were talking about this idea that if we just looked around a little bit, we trust a lot of things that we ought to be more thankful for. We all remember during COVID when the supply chain that we trust in broke down and you couldn't buy toilet paper anymore. You trust in something that didn't work. Our God never fails. Our God will come through. He keeps his promises, so we should trust him. Do you trust what he's done? Do you believe him? Do you believe that he is the one who created you, who loves you? Do you trust that God is alive, that Jesus is the risen Savior that we serve, that the grave is empty, that he really died on the cross for your sins because he loved you and really rose again. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Do you trust that he prepares a place for you? Do you trust that we should not be troubled? That when hard things happen, that we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us? Do you trust that he cares for you? That he loves you? <clears throat> Do you trust that he is the way, the truth, and the life? The only way to get to the Father. Do you believe these things? Are they something that's written on your heart? Do you trust them today? Do you trust that He has all authority? We're supposed to trust in who Jesus is, who God is. We're supposed to trust in what He's done, <clears throat> the ways He's worked, and the things He's taught. Do you trust that what Jesus taught is the best way? Do you trust that the Word of God is enough? for living a godly life? Or do you look elsewhere? Do you trust in what He will do? Do you trust that He is preparing that place? He will come back, and you will be with Him for eternity. <coughs> so when we look at this idea, this idea of trusting, trusting in God, I want to make that practical for us. That's my goal, anyway, is for us to have a practical understanding of what it means to trust God and to obey God. Because these are theoretical things. Do you trust this idea, or do you trust it? The idea of trust is very theoretical, right? This morning, I was sharing a little with our deacons about what we're talking about today, and, and Dennis had the idea, and there's a reason we're not doing it. He had the idea that I, they should come on stage and we should do a trust fall. And that he and Tom could catch me. He even said, you should get, it should be a pretty high one. Maybe you could stand up on a higher platform and we'll catch you. You can trust us. And it would be one thing for me to say, Dennis, I trust you. It's another thing for me to say, let's do it. 
And there's a reason I'm not doing it. Because then I'd have to trust the doctors that they could fix me after they don't catch me. Now, a little trustful maybe, but we talked it like, you know, high up. Not going to work. What does practical trust in God look like in your life and in the life of our trust? What do you personally need to trust in today? Do you need to trust that, that God desires a relationship with you? I think we, we would affirm this idea, yes, I know God wants a relationship with me, but does that, look, does that manifest in your life? Does that show up in your life in acting like that's real? Are you pursuing a relationship with him? Are you seeking to communicate and to have a relationship with the God who loves you? Do you trust even fully that God loves you, that he has good intentions for you, that he wants good things for you, that he has good plans for you, that don't always feel good in the moment sometimes when we live in this world, but that God loves you, that he cares for you? Sometimes we will intellectually agree with these ideas, but we don't fully let them be felt and known in our heart. We don't live our life with the confidence that we have a God who loves us, who cares for us and desires a relationship with us. And the reason I know that is because the things that bother us in this life, the things that will get to us, the things that will upset our whole day, are so insignificant when we remember that the God who made me, loves me, made a way for me to have a relationship with Him and wants me to have a relationship with Him. He is working for my good. When we remember that, when we trust in that, the small things that bother us shouldn't be able to bother us any longer. Do you trust that God is good in the face of difficulty? It's easy on the days when you go in and you see somebody and say, God is good all the time when everything's going well. But what happens when things start to fall apart? Can you still trust that God is good? Do you trust that? Do you know that? Because when you do the difficult things begin to shift in what they are. They are a difficulty of this life rather than a punishment from God. You know how we can see if someone is not trusting that God is good in the face of difficulty? Why is God doing this to me? That phrase, why is God doing this to me? What is that saying? God is doing a bad thing to me. God is hurting me. Well, if God is good in the face of difficulty, that's not true. He's working for our good. Even in the most difficult situations, He is working for our good. And so we have to trust that. Do you trust that what is to come is greater than what is here? This is a hard one. I heard a story of an evangelist that polled a church during a revival service about how many people would like to go to heaven right now if they could? How many people would like to go to heaven right now if they could? And about a third of the people raised their hand. But when asked if, if they could stay in this life forever, not get any older, could, could live a, a good life, not have pain and sickness, and have the money they needed, how many people would like to stay here forever? About two-thirds of the people raised their hand. That's a problem. Because God has very clearly said what He is preparing for us is far greater than what we experience now. The, the things we experience are a foreshadow, a taste of what is to come. And we have to believe that and trust that if we're going to ever 
fully obey God. We have to trust that God can do all things, that He can forgive us. There's people that their hang-up with God is they don't believe that God could forgive someone like them. He can. That God can bless. That in the middle of a difficult situation where there seems to be no hope, that God can move in that situation. That He can heal. That He can deliver from bondage. He can deliver from things people have struggled with forever. That He can restore that which is broken. We have to trust these things if we will pursue God in faithfulness. So for you personally, what of those things rings true in your life? How do you need to trust God? And as a church, how do we need to trust God? We need to trust that God is already working among us. That can be hard sometimes. There can be times when you go to church where things feel stagnant in your own personal walk or some person says the wrong thing and it just feels like things aren't going well. But I promise you, if you look close enough, God is always working. We have to look at how God is working among us already, trusting that He already is working among us already and pursue Him further. We have to believe as a church that our future in Christ can be brighter than our past. This is the same idea that what is to come is better than what is now or has been. God is a God of the future, not of the past. What He is going to do and He will do We have to believe that our future in Christ is brighter than our past. We have to trust that we can reach the lost and unchurched around us with God's help. It can be hard when you have an event and you don't see people come from that event to the church. It it can be hard when you see someone visit and they don't come back. But we have to trust that we can reach the people around us. And we have to trust that we can effectively minister to young families, youth, and children. One of the things I was asked when I came in my interview is that there was an age gap from about 24 to 40 at the time, and it's kind of right around there still, maybe shifted a little bit. We can reach those people. We can effectively minister to those families because God is on our side. God wants to help us to do these things. We have to believe that He can. We have to trust that God can do what we want to see Him do. We have to trust. Because if we don't trust, we will not obey. That's the second part. Trust and obey. These are the two things we see in the song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. If you trust and don't obey, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to obey if you don't trust. So you've got to trust, and then we must obey. Those who love God will obey God. Those who love God will obey God. I didn't count it, but I think you could hear it as I was reading that passage. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. (coughs) If we love God, We will obey God. Obedience is action, is doing. It's not understanding what we're supposed to do. It's practical, putting into action what God wants us to do. Love for God 
will equal obedience to God. And our love for Him is shown in obeying His commandments. So what does this look like? We should obey His commandments, which leads to holiness in our lives, ridding ourselves of sin and seeking to be holy by keeping His commandments. Obeying the other kinds of commandments, the tasks He's given to us, fulfilling the tasks, sharing the gospel, doing specific things He calls us to in our lives. We obey Him by knowing more about Him, growing in that relationship, and going to make disciples. Know, grow, go. Knowing God, growing in our relationship, and going to make disciples. So what does practical obedience look like for you today? What do you need today do today to practically obey God, the real things you can do. And they directly relate to what you need to do in trusting God. And if there's a place where you trust God, or you would say you trust God, but there's not an area of obedience that follows, the question should remain, do you trust God? It's the same example. Do you trust Dennis and Tom to catch you in a trust fall? I do. Then do it. No. Why you don't trust them? Do you trust that God will be with you if you go to share the gospel with someone that is hard to go share the gospel with? Yes. Then do it. I'm nervous. What does it mean? You're not trusting God to be with you in that. At least not enough to, at least not enough to do it. You might know about it, but you're not trusting him by the action. So what do you need to do? Do you need to pursue a relationship with God? And what I mean by that is a real active relationship with God, not just a habitual routine, not something where you attend church, go to Sunday school, read your Bible, pray a prayer, because that's what you do. Do you need to pursue a relationship with God where you're interacting with God as though he is a person, which is who he is? that he wants to interact with you, he is inter- interested in you, loves you, and wants a relationship with you? Do you need to do the things that interact with that? Do you need to respond to God's love for you? If there's anyone in here who does not have a relationship with God, who's not been saved, the first act of obedience is trusting that you are a sinner in need of salvation, trusting that Jesus Christ paid that price that you can't pay, in obeying by responding to that, submitting by faith, believing in what Jesus has done, and then making him your Lord and Savior. But do you need to also respond to the love he's shown you in your life? Are there things he's done for you that you've celebrated for this, this past week with Thanksgiving that have not prompted obedience? Do you need to cast your burdens on the Lord? Because he does care for you. You need to cast your burdens on him. Do you need to obey commands that you've been neglecting? Are there commandments that you know you ought to be following, but you're not? Do you need to obey through the proclamation of the gospel, sharing the gospel with people who need to hear it? Do you need to pursue God's will where you feel him leading? Is there something that God's always been leading you to do that you've been putting off? You need to find where you can minister within the church, within the body of believers. So what does our church need to do? You, we have to figure out individually what we need to do to obey God, but as a church, what do we need to do? We need to obey God in the small things. 
We need to consider what it will take to get to where we know God wants us to be. I think everyone here has probably different ideas of where we would like to see God move in this church, what we would like to see God do in this church. But I know one thing that we can all hopefully agree on. We want to see people come to know Christ. We want to see this church minister to all ages of people from birth to the grave. We want to make disciples of Jesus. And we want to do it well for the glory of God. We want to see lost people in our area come to know Jesus. Now, what does that look like? Well, we're all going to have different ideas. But we need to consider what it takes. What does it take to get there? What does it take to reach young families? What does it get, take to reach and have ministries available for the people we're going to encounter? Are we willing to do the things that it will take to get there? If God were to bring a ministry opportunity to us, will we be faithful in obeying and ministering to those people? We have to be obedient in the proclamation of the gospel. What we do as a church must be about making disciples within the church and outside of the church. We're going to get more practical. We have, to do, we have to focus on doing what it takes to reach young families. And at times that will cost us our own convenience to, to an extent because we're going to have to, the people that are here, focus on ways to reach and connect with young families. And I know what that's going to look like. It's going to mean that we're going to have to build relationships with other people that we don't know. That means in reaching young families, people that are in here are going to have to go into the community, build a new relationship, talk to them, and if that person doesn't know Christ or does not have a church currently, finding a way to get them connected here or elsewhere. Because here's the deal. It's not about only New Bethel. It's about the kingdom of God. So if your interactions lead to a person attending another church that's a Bible-believing church, you know who gets the glory for that? God does. And it's worth it. But we're going to have to build relationships with others. And then when people come in, we're going to have to build and form new relationships with new people. When I was rearranging some of the youth room, I found some binders that I don't know who made them, but somebody made them. I got to see some really younger versions of some people in this church, and it was kind of fun figuring out who they all were. And what I saw there was beautiful. There was all these people. One of them was a, a college group that I think it was when Gerald was here and, and his wife was leading that college group, and they did like a, a progressive dinner. But you know what that entailed? It had people opening their homes to a bunch of college kids that they probably didn't know all of, why? To build community so that they could grow in relationship with each other and grow in relationship with God. And so what does that mean for today? There's, if a new family walks in, we've got to have people, someone willing to be obedient to God and build a relationship, open their home, take them to eat, pay for them, whatever you can do to minister to, to, to them wherever you are at. We have to invest in others. And that's new people and people here. One of the great things we see happen in churches is someone will be a faithful servant for many, many years. And then when they step out of that ministry, there's no one to take their place. Why does that happen? Because we don't invest enough in those who come later. We have to invest. Everyone here has to invest in someone that's following after them in some way, shape, or form. 
We have to disciple others, open our homes, make plans with people. You know, one of the, one of the things about Evansville is you've got a lot of people like my family that aren't really from here, but they moved here for a job or something. They kind of like it here. They want to be here. But you know what they don't have here? Their family. You know what we have a lot of people here that could be? People's family. You know how many bonus parents and bonus grandparents could be sitting in these pews? A lot of them. And while we, we realize and recognize that there are things other churches are going to do to focus on reaching young families and can do that we can't right now, we can love them in the name of Jesus. We can do everything that we can to be obedient to God right where we are. And so as we look at this, as we think about this, we remember the other part of this passage is that God is the one empowering us to do all of this. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the counselor. He gives us the helper to remind us, to help us, to empower us to do these things. Here's what I know. There's times where you don't feel like doing it. There's times where it feels like someone else should do it. There's times where it's not the thing you want to do the most. You have another plan. You have another thing to do. You have something else you would much rather spend your day doing. But if you will listen to the prompting of the Spirit, you know that God wants you to do something. And if we love Him, we'll obey Him. So that's what it looks like. And, and, and like the song says, we'll be happy in Jesus when we trust and obey you know, the, the great lie of the American dream that we've all been sold is that if you will go work really hard, work your job, make a lot of money, get the house you want, do the things you like, you'll be happy. You know how many people have all the money they could want, have the job they thought they always wanted, have everything the way they wanted it and are miserable? Why? Nothing on this earth can satisfy and there's a lot of people that go to church that do exactly what they want to do. They're minimally involved in church. Their faith doesn't cost them very much. And they're not happy. And they're miserable. Why? Well, maybe it's the things that they're chasing after aren't God. The things they sacrifice for aren't the kingdom. It's the self. And so if we as a church want to be faithful, if we want to see God's blessing, if we want to be obedient because we love Him, He will be our priority. Obeying Him will be our priority. And we will seek out what it looks like in our lives without excuses, without any reason that we might want to do something else, but simply to trust God at what He says, to trust Him. And because we trust Him, because we love Him, we obey Him. Because if we don't obey Him, we know that means maybe we're not trusting him as much as we thought we did. What do you need to do today to trust God? What do you need to do to obey God? And whatever it is, rely on the Holy Spirit that he gives you to fulfill it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, I thank you for this day, this time that we can come together and, and we can look at your word and we can look at what it says and we can just Seek to be your people who are doing what you call us to do. And God, I pray that today we would trust you, that we would believe what you've said, we would believe in who you are, we would believe in what you've done, and we believe in what you will do. 
God, I pray that that belief and that trust would prompt us to obey you, to be obedient to what you command, to be obedient to where you're leading, that that obedience would not be hindered by any excuses or any other pursuits, but that we would lay those down in pursuit of obeying you. God, I pray that you would be with us and that you would convict us and you would show us and you would guide us and that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to trust you and to obey you and that you would get the glory in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? The altar will be open for prayer and We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.